It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Good morning, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode here of On the Fence Side with Cat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as finfanatic.com and the fan sided network i'm brian cat nfl paul is fanatic underscore pick on twitter a lot to cover here today and we did we're doing this show here on sunday morning for a couple of reasons uh one we're going to talk about the senior bowl and the players that stuck out and what that could mean for the dolphins as they pick 29th in the nfl draft we're going to talk about a lot of drama going on in miami as w- largely surrounding Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL, really against the entirety of the NFL, as well as directed toward the Miami Dolphins. Um, And we're going to talk about, most importantly, the Dolphins' ongoing coach search. And we'll start there, Paul. So they, the Dolphins spent 10 hours with Mike McDaniel, according to reports, on Saturday, or excuse me, on Friday. And then yesterday, on Saturday, they interviewed Kellen Moore. No news as of now what the results of those discussions were. But now here we are on Sunday waiting for news here. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, are you leaning one way or the other? Any guesses of what you think is going to happen? I mean, I, I've been leaning McDaniel for weeks. The fact that um, Anthony Lynn got hired by the 49ers to come in and be that innovative run game guy speak some volumes there for what I think is about to happen. Uh, the fact that, you know, it, it's Kellen Moore. I like Kellen Moore. I like him more than some folks do. Um, but again, it, it's to me, this is McDaniel's job to lose. Uh, the fact that I think he's fully on board with what the Dolphins want to do, how they want to do it. And to still have the control possible, um, I really like the move if they do it. That's where I'm at too, almost word for word. I mean, look, and for if I went off the deep end yesterday on, on Twitter toward a few people, because I'm so sick and tired of this. Oh, um, why would you hire McDaniel? Uh, it's just like hiring Adam Gase or Joe Philbin. I'm like, that is such a lazy opinion. I don't know where to start. They That's are nothing, stereotyping. Don't do it, folks. Right. They are nothing alike. Um, Mike McDaniel developed and created an entire offensive running game system that is lauded by his organization across the board. Okay. Joe Philbin was basically a right-hand man to Aaron Rodgers and to Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. He did not call plays. He didn't design offenses. He didn't do anything. And we saw that pretty quickly here in Miami. With Adam Gase, yes, there were a lot of people, including Peyton Manning and Mike Martz, who said this guy was a genius, blah, blah, blah. But we never saw any of that resembled in his play calling. Everything was very, very vanilla uh, as far as his play play calling was concerned. Uh, In Denver and Chicago, everywhere that he was, and he was even a worse leader. So that's not the case. And look, if, if you're going to say, oh, this guy's going to be gone in three or four years, well, based on the law of averages, you're probably going to be right because most coaches are gone in their first three or four years. But this, to me, Mike McDaniel is the best way to go. I'm, I'm with you, too. I like Kellen Moore more than a lot of people. Yes, he's only been a head coach or only been a coordinator for three years, only been a coach for four years, has only been uh, not an NFL player for five years. So, yeah, they're 
the question with with him is what is the coaching coaches are the coaches that he's going to be able to bring to Miami or not bring. Whereas McDaniel has worked with six different organizations. He's worked with a lot of different people and, and you can bet he has a further reach as far as the coordinators that he can bring to Miami. He does. And one thing I like about these guys is they're young. They're not too young, but both offenses, if you look at San Francisco and you look at Dallas, have done some innovative things and have found ways to capitalize on the personnel that they have on that roster, and in some cases, all of the personnel that they have on that roster. Uh, One of the things I really love, and we're going to talk about McDaniel with this, is the toss dives and toss counters. And, And there was a hilarious interaction between him, I want to say it was either this past year or the year before, and the media where they asked him they said you know what are you thinking when you toss the ball straight back and instead of going on a sweep the the running back actually dives or even even runs a counter um when typically when you toss the ball like that it's it's a sweep and everybody knows that he's like and mcdaniel looked at him goes you just answered your own question like (laughs) and if you watch footage of, of of those type of plays and they're little things, but you watch him single handedly with those type of plays, put a defense on ice skates. And I've got news for you: plays like that, even if the Dolphins didn't touch their offensive line this off season, things like that make an offensive line look better because you're taking the defensive players and taking them off their spot. You're taking those defensive players and making them sit back and process what's going on and what's in front of them. And whenever that's the case, it only helps you win your matchups. So there are a lot of things he does immediately, even without any personnel moves. Well, we saw two in the playoffs. I mean, what do you do when Trent Williams is a tight end all of a sudden? I mean... Uh, Not even a tight end. A wingback in motion. Right. It's in that creativity is what's needed in the NFL. The the biggest thing that I hear and, and you hear this on, on NFL broadcasts all the time is, hey, they just line up and play their own game. They don't do anything fancy that I'm like, OK, well, then that's stupid. You should be creative and innovative all the time and get players on your team who are smart enough and good enough to carry that out. And you mean like like our innovative defense that we instead played vanilla for the first eight weeks of the season. That that and uh, for the previous ten years with all these Bengals defensive coordinators, uh, who uh, you, you knew where each player was going to be on every play, and and the hope is, well, we're just going to line up and beat you and force you into doing stupid things you otherwise wouldn't do. Well, that those things don't work. Well, so, one of the only times I've ever seen that work was when Dave Wanstead was the coach of the Miami Dolphins, and he had Ricky Williams in the backfield who superseded the stupidity of his play calling. Uh, that and imagine if they had put any ounce of energy into getting an upgrade over Jay Fiedler in those in those years. And I, and I, I, I was a Fiedler defender for a little while because I thought, hey, can't get mad at the guy because he didn't make himself starting quarterback. You, the coach did. I mean, it, and that that's a different conversation. So, yeah, I'm with you there on Mike McDaniel. Speaking of head coaches. Our previous head coach, Brian Flores, made some incredibly interesting news this past week with a 58-page lawsuit directed toward the NFL. 
their hiring practices, as well as two very specific allegations and serious ones against the Miami Dolphins, accusing Steve Ross of offering him very directly in 2019 $100,000 per loss for each game. Number two, arrange a meeting on a uh, supposedly an arranged meeting on Steve Ross's yacht with a prominent quarterback who is believed to have been Tom, uh, Tom Brady. So before we get into the racism allegations here of his lawsuit, we'll, 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 we'll park right there for a second. I've got my own thoughts on this, Paul. What are, what are your thoughts? First, starting with the Steve Ross, the allegation of Steve Ross offering Flores $100,000 to throw games. If this can be proven, which I've really seen no shred of anything other than, oh, we think there's somebody else that kind of heard it, or Flores told other people about it when it happened. Like, Flores telling other people about it when it happened, guess what, doesn't mean it happened. <laughs> like, it just, you know... And Let me ask you this, and I know I've been talking like this whole show, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you think? Do you think that this happened? Do you maybe. think that conversation took took place? Okay, maybe. I, I, I'm going to say off the. I think it did happen, but I'm going to throw it throw it. I know there's more to it than that. Yeah, I mean, and and it may well have been like, and, and we have zero context around it. We haven't even heard exactly like, like you know. We've all sat around with our buddies and f- coworkers or whatever um, over over a drink at one point and been like, yeah, I'd, I'd pay you half my salary to do my job, like you know, like and, or something stupid like that. Like, so we don't have context, and unfortunately, you know, I, I know you don't want to dive into the full aspect of the suit, but there, there's. A hand in hand here for me, um, with both both portions of this lawsuit, the Steve Ross allegations and the racial allegations. That there's a huge problem in the NFL where we really don't have enough representation out there as far as coordinators, etc. Go. Steve Ross, love him or hate him as an owner, has probably been the shining beacon for the NFL as far as diversity goes between the rise initiative which i've spent enough time talking to folks from rise etc that you know this is a real thing trying to affect change between if you look at the dolphins front front office chris greer reggie mckenzie marvin allen uh, you've got jason jenkins who appears to be getting groomed to move even higher up the food chain at some point in time uh you know and, and you start you've got paula argoletta um, you know, it's Steve Roth. Ha- Steve Ross has a very ethnically diverse staff in his front office. Um, and you look at that, and you look at some of the allegations that Flores is making. Uh, the fact that there there aren't enough, there isn't enough representation amongst coordinators. Guess what? Adam Gase's final year, he had a more diverse coaching staff than Brian Flores by by far. Um, you know, so it's yeah. Brian Flores is not eating his own dog food on this, and the deeper you look at this, the 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 worse it seems. The fact that he's making all these racial allegations, yet if if he's truly going to stand as a man of integrity, in what world would he ex- look to accept 
potentially the Texans' head coaching job with the most racist NFL owner out there, at least on record. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that don't. What, 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 one last thing. Don't match it. Too. Like you look at you look at the lawsuit, <clears throat> and it talks about diversity hires, and it mentions that there's only one minority coach in the NFL. No, there's not. Right now, there are three minority head coaches in the NFL. It, it's it's if we want to have this be about racial equality, it's got to be about all of it. Right. Uh, it, no, all that's very well said. And and let me say first that that there's one black head coach in the NFL, three uh, head coaches of color in the NFL. I wish there were more. And, you know, it's I can understand the frustration surrounding that. That's why I really do want to do my best and do our best to be sensitive about that. On the other hand, and before I get to that, you know, there was a, a quote from from somebody. I, I, I can't remember her name. Um, uh, um, African-American uh, uh, a commentator. I don't know if she's on ESPN. I can't remember her name, but she said something to the effect of, you know, it's just human nature to want to hire people that look and act more like you. And I, I think that's well said. And there are 32 white owners and that that lends itself to that to that point. You know, so, on the other hand, um, you know, it's it also needs to be pointed out too, and and I'm 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 really not happy with the the media, which I I rarely am happy with the media that they don't point out also certain other things here. There's no mention of in the last decade alone. The last decade alone, thirty fifteen of thirty two NFL teams have had a African American head coach or a person of color as their head coach. Uh, just a couple of years ago, in 2018, nine of the thirty two head coaches were African American. Or a person of color, okay. And it, there's also no mention of you know because the Broncos have been brought into this. Supposedly, you know, the accusation was about how John Elway and whoever the CEO was at the time basically showed up hungover to that uh, interview with with um, Brian Flores to supposedly just satisfy the Rooney Rule, which the Rooney rule has been an utter failure in the NFL. It's been a failure and it continues to be a failure and it's humiliating for coaches like Brian Flores to have to sit through those. And that needs to be addressed too. But I don't think you can either, you could take away the Rooney rule because it's going to be reported that they're taking more assets away from potential minority coaches. So I don't know what you do about that either. So it's a whole hodgepodge of things. Well, and you know, we, we kicked off the show at the start of the hour talking about Mike McDaniel and Kellen Moore um, and Kellen Moore went into that interview yesterday you can't, you can't tell me he hasn't seen some of the news if if, if he hasn't wow uh, I'm worried about that but the fact that his interview yesterday was very likely something that he had to absolutely knock out of the park to have a shot at McDaniels to have a sh- or McDaniel to have a shot at overcoming what it sounds like is building for for Mike McDaniel in Miami. And yet, Kellen Moore went on the interview, probably did his best, and we'll hear something shortly. You know, like, it's... You know, just because they have a coach in mind that they like doesn't mean they're being racist. 
And I'm going to point out something uh, Stuart Wallace here said in chat. He said, am I missing something? I thought that Flores issues with unfair and prejudiced hiring practices are against the league and, and the Giants and the Broncos, not against the Dolphins. Thank you for bringing that up there, Stuart. Where it ties into this and where it tied in in the lawsuit is that is the what's said in there is that African-American coaches have to go so above and beyond um, their call of duty. And that's what happened with the Dolphins. And the evidence of that being the having to throw games. That's what the implication is in the lawsuit. And that is the part of the lawsuit that I disagree with because there's there's more to that though, too. It's the racial allegations are being levied against all 32 teams just with two specific instances called out uh, and two specific teams called out. But it does go on to say, you know, and, and because the Dolphins are already named, the 29 other franchises. Um, so it, it's the racial allegations are being leveled against the NFL as a whole and to some degree to every franchise. Got it. And the thought about this is in 2019, after – Brian Flores did not go along with that. It was basically used against him and all other decisions that were made and how he was viewed within the organization, which eventually led to his firing. I have an issue with that too. And and one specific part of that is you just look at the free agent acquisitions that they've had over the last couple of years. I mean, Jason McCourty, Adam Butler, Kyle Van Noy, Ted Karras, I mean, all these former expatriates was that just a coincidence? Was that Chris Greer's doing? No, I think that Brian Flores had a major hand in that. If not, if it wasn't specific, specifically a signing that he wanted. So I've got an issue with that too. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. And, and I, I look at this and the, the major thing that really set off Brian Flores too was the text message that he got accidentally from Bill Belichick that basically said, that said to him, you know, Herger, the main guy for the Giants job or something to that effect. Um, And he got Brian Dable and Brian Flores confused. Everybody knows the story by by this point here too. And the Giants have come out and vehemently denied that allegation. And this is, this is the exact quote from the Giants. The allegation that the Giants' decision had been made prior to Friday evening, January 28th, is false. And to base that allegation on a text exchange with Bill Belichick in which he ultimately states he thinks Brian Dable will get the job is irresponsible. The text exchange occurred the day before Coach Dable's in-person interview, and that's the main point in this, even took place. Giants' ownership would never hire a head coach based on only a 20-minute Zoom interview, which is all Brian Dable had at that point. And that, so here's my point is, I think Brian Flores is extremely, is extremely brave for what he's doing at 40 years old, knowing this could compromise his career. But being brave and being accurate in what you're saying are not exactly the same thing. So... Shake, I want to I want to just mention something real quick. You mentioned Jim Caldwell, Lovey Smith, and Tony Dungy and their winning records. I can't fully comment on that just because I haven't sat and really analyzed everything about their seasons that they had, etc. I don't know. It may or may not have been. Um, but as far as the Dolphins go, and, and Shake, I know you're here all the time. It's 
how many times this season have you heard me talk about the issues that I had coaching-wise, whether it was Flores, whether it was the offensive coordinator, whether it was the defensive coordinator, whether it was the quarterback's coach that was calling plays instead of our two offensive coordinators. Um, the you know, I, I think I've been pointing at the coaching since week one as being an issue this year. And, and whether it's coordinators, assistants, you name it, the fact that Flo is the man in charge and didn't make the changes needed in a, in a timely enough fashion. If we, went, if we literally tried out that defense for a couple of weeks and said, nope, this isn't working, and went back to what worked with the personnel we had, we'd be in the playoffs. Um, if... Flo had been able to or work with a special teams coordinator to identify the issues with Polardi holding the ball that fans saw, we'd be in the playoffs. If Flo had figured out that you need to plan for rain and enforce that with his coordinators, maybe we'd be in the playoffs. Like, there's so many things you can point to throughout the season where where coaching, whether it was Flores or one of his direct reports, truly let this team down. The fact that he couldn't use some of these offensive linemen that Chris Greer brought in that left here, went to another team, and immediately started. Yeah. Probably be in the playoffs. Like, it's the number of things that you can sit there and say, and, and some of them weren't even in hindsight. We were talking about them as they were going on and not happening. That's where, for me, the Flores thing, yeah, he had a winning record this year, but the record wasn't what it should have been. Um, And the fact that he hasn't seemed like he's able to work very well with subordinates. Look at the, the turnover amongst coordinators. Patrick Graham, like, nah, I'm out. Like, for an equal job. It, it's, it's, it's a tough road to hoe with this one. So, yes, and so overall, here's what I believe. Uh, yes, I do think Steve Ross offered $100,000 a game to lose. I, I do believe that happened, Number one, because two things can be true. Yes, Flores has flaws. I don't agree with everything he said, but also the owner of the Dolphins is a bumbling doofus. I believe those two things can be true at once. Um and it goes very in line with how the Dolphins were thinking in 2019 when they traded Laramie Tunsil, when they traded Mika Fitzpatrick, when they gutted their entire roster. I'm confused why they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of just going with Josh Rosen all year. You know, because if that were the case, they probably would have Joe Burrow. But that's 2020 hindsight, too. You know, um, but if there's not, if this isn't more than a he said, she said conversation, I just don't understand where you go from there and how you could punish the Dolphins. And there's going to be an investigation, and the Dolphins have said, Steve Ross has said that they're going to be very cooperative with that. So we'll see what happens next. But as far as things you can prove, yes, you can absolutely prove Brian Flores had a really tough time working with anybody. Okay? I mean, you, you just... The coaches, I mean, you, you have three different offensive coordinators in three years. You have three different offensive line coaches in three years. On the defensive side of the ball, you signed Kyle Van Noy, who supposedly had a great relationship with Flores, and then that all blows up specifically because of the relationship. Um, Mika Fitzpatrick refused to play for this guy and demanded a trade, which turned into Austin Jackson. Um, Pat Flaherty, who was an offensive line tight end coach in the NFL, 
for 19 years in a row and a damn good one too is gone after four days like i i yes i i think that is what got brian flores fired whether you agree with this firing or disagree with it and you can document those things yeah no and, and there's there's a lot i mean the fact that you know brian and, and bill belichick had a, a pretty damn good relationship the fact that you know they still would text each other and you could see the admiration in that text exchange and now th- three days ago flores is on another interview and it it turns he, he turns around and says he hasn't spoken to bill since and then threw belichick under the bus in the interview like it, it, as far as you know respect and the fact that he felt like belichick cost him the job and tampered with that and got Dable high. like it it's just mind bot like that one that that scenario there is very mind boggling to me because this is somebody that he was speaking to with love and admiration and it appeared to be a two way street on that and suddenly because he accidentally let you know about something else he heard you're just you know throwing away somebody you worked with for years and i don't know like well yeah and and it's so supposedly they they had a great relationship flores and belichick supposedly flores and van noy had a great relationship and then they didn't supposedly flores and patrick graham had a great relationship and then patrick graham left left and took the dc job with the giants for less money yeah i mean that's the reason for this stuff and you start as as you start putting the pieces together it starts to look more like brian flores is a hammer constantly looking for a nail you know i so overall this is this is where i sit yes i think steve ross was a bumbling doofus in 2019 uh, i don't care about the supposed yacht meeting that is the thing i'm mad about the most on that is that they got caught doing it i don't look, do you really believe that this doesn't happen from all 32 teams in the NFL all the time. If, if you think it does, let me ask you this. When the tampering period starts two days before free agency, how are players agreeing to terms 15 minutes into the tampering period? You're really getting those details sorted out and, and agreeing to terms in 15 minutes? Not a chance in hell. Uh, so my bigger problem is that they were caught. And... Yeah, so I think Steve Ross made that $100,000 offer. I don't care about the Brady meeting. I hope there are more black coaches in the NFL moving forward, and I don't think the Rooney rule works. That's that's where I'm going to cap it off at. Shake actually just pointed out something awesome, which I think is a great closing moment for this. The first person that was tampered that Miami or tampered with that Miami brought into the fold as an organization was Don Shula. That's true. That worked out pretty well, I think. Yeah, that's true. So we'll see where this takes us here, and we'll we'll put a we'll put a period on that until we hear hear some more news. Because hey, our any opinions we've had are subject to change based on what comes out, yeah. just like they always do. Let's talk about the Senior Bowl here, Paul. We're finally getting into NFL draft season. Let's and- go. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching the Senior Bowl practices here. Now, I was not there, but sp- lo- looked at 
any piece of film that I could get as far as one-on-ones and you get a clearer picture of who some of these players are and where they're projected to go on there. So I would say to just a couple of just takeaways right off the top is this looks like a very, very strong offensive tackle class, which is great news for the dolphins. I mean, in mobile, um, two of the, the highest projected players are Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, as well as uh, Bernard Raymond, the offensive tackle from Central Michigan, two small school guys with very interesting stories. Um, Penning, obviously, he has he's probably going to be the highest drafted player in Northern Iowa history. He played opposite Spencer Brown um, last year uh, in Northern Iowa. Both kind of built the same big, a little bit stiff, but big, tall, powerful, have good length and you see a lot of nastiness in Penning too. He was he was out there being chippy, picking fights here throughout the week, um, but very very solid. And uh, he's projected if he gets to twenty nine by a lot of people to get there or to be taken by the Dolphins at that spot. I actually think he's going to end up going a little earlier. Uh, Bernard Raymond, great athlete, has only been playing offensive tackle for two years. Was a tight end before that and only learned how to play football early in his high school career. Um, he was 240 pounds two years ago. Now he's over 300 pounds. Great athlete. Reminds me a lot of Garrett Bowles, the former uh, uh, offensive tackle out of Utah, who's now a pro bowler with the Broncos. Um, yeah, and I, I think those are the two guys that we're going to be talking a lot about here over the next couple of months. I love me some Trevor Penning. And I think if... Miami does do what we would like them to do and, and signs two offensive tackles in the free agent class, which is also a strong group. I still don't I don't think it precludes you from drafting Trevor Penning if he's in a position that you can you can snatch him. Because I think Trevor Penning could be phenomenal at guard until one of those tackle spots opens up. And yeah, say, suddenly you're you're mauling people from there. Say for example, they got let's say talk about like a best case scenario. Um Say you get Toronto Armstead at left tackle and Morgan Moses at right tackle. Penning is there as a value pick. He could start out at guard and then in a couple of years transition to tackle because you're if the Dolphins sign a tackle this offseason or when they sign a tackle, he's probably going to be an older one. So there is that possibility. Penning could get a little experience if it's Toronto Armstead because he typically misses three to five games a year. Right, and... You've also got, you're going to have Liam Eikenberg in it. You're going to have Austin Jackson still on the roster. The goal is for them to not be clear-cut starters here in 2022. But it'll be interesting to see, too, if there's a situation where this tackle class is so deep that, okay, we're only going to sign one tackle, and we're going to let Liam Eikenberg compete with um, a first or a second-round rookie at that tackle spot. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to go back to the rookie well, but I see no problem with doing it. The problem is you drafted... Liam Eikenberg and Austin Jackson, one guy who wasn't Austin Jackson, who wasn't very good in college, and another guy, Liam Eikenberg, who's who who's didn't have the physical characteristics to step in at day one and play tackle for you. So you made mistakes there. That doesn't mean you you know turn a cold shoulder to the rest of the offensive tackles this year. No, uh, it, it doesn't at all. I mean, it, it's every mock draft I've done so far, and yes, I've done a few, even though it's hard to do, given the fact that. You know, all things are subject to change over the next couple of months, which is something you and I both love. And the fact that we don't have a head coach yet, let alone uh, definitive coordinators, does make it a little bit difficult. But 
I, I've grabbed at least one or two offensive linemen in these dra- in these mocks, and guys like Zion, guys like Penning, um, some of the later round guys like Cole Strange, who wasn't in the Senior Bowl, so we'll talk about him later. Um, yeah, no, it it definitely doesn't preclude you taking an offensive lineman in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, Zion Johnson, um, another player that I've got my eye on at the back end of the first round. He played actually left guard and center throughout the week and looked equally solid in both roles. I mean, very assignment sound, and and also when he's blocking downfield, has a lot of nastiness to him, too. I've seen that a lot on tape. Solid, consistent, nasty, versatile, I I think a day one starter here if the Dolphins were to go down that route. Um, One guy I did not like and I'm I'm souring on is uh, Daniel Falele from uh, Minnesota. I mean, look, I don't think being six foot eight, 390, 400 pounds, I don't think that's a good thing. And when he was out there blocking on an island, it, it looked ugly at certain points. And that's the type of player. I mean, to me, responsibility number one is protecting to his blind side. And I don't want somebody like that doing it. You know, he reminds me a lot of, if you remember, Zach Banner from USC a couple of years ago, who actually, you know, was, I mean, he was a third round pick of the Colts, hasn't done anything in his NFL career. And now he was actually in position to compete for the Steelers starting right tackle job this year, but then got hurt. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan of Filele here. Well, I want to talk about a couple of guys I really did like. Um, Calvin Austin the third, the five foot seven hundred and seventy pound boundary receiver. Uh, the guy did a better job getting off press coverage than most folks in drills. Uh, he was consistently winning his matchups all week. He's probably going to be a slot guy at the next level, but at the same time, guys like that are ones that if you get Mike McDaniel in the building, I love even more because of the fact that I think he would take people like um, Calvin Austin, Jalen Waddell, uh, Lynn Bowden, and, make, and, and Mike Kosicki and make them movable chess pieces all over the offense and really create some fun mismatches with guys like that. Right. And those are the players, too, that I, I wish the Dolphins in previous years would have spent more mid to late round picks on receivers. Because if the rest of your offense is doing what it should be, I'm looking more for receivers that are just going to create separation. And Austin did that all week. He's a small guy, but he got separation really, um, according to what I saw and based on reports, better than anybody else throughout the week. Um, Also, I'd say that the top two receivers uh, out of this week were Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama and Christian Watson from North Dakota State. Both lanky type receivers, but have that flexibility in the hips to separate. And so when you combine those two things together, you can play outside on the boundary and, and, and gain some separation if, you, if you've got those skill sets. So th- those are two players that I see coming off the board somewhere somewhere in day, day two, probably toward the back end of day two. Yeah, no, he's a guy that I really like, and I think he's probably going to go a little earlier than the back end of day two because he's one of those players that has a tremendous amount of upside. Um, and he's somebody I really liked and I'm still avoiding the guy that I want to talk about because we don't need him so I'll go to a linebacker I loved and it's somebody I really loved going into this and quite frankly I'm kind of bummed I, I feel like he had a really good week and a really good game and that's Chad Muma 
the linebacker out of um, Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming. God, I'm blanking on the name of the state. Um, he's somebody that I've taken in a lot of mocks, especially given the fact that San Francisco won too much for us to even consider Nicobe Dean, for us to even consider Devin Lloyd, unfortunately, uh, without making a move upwards. And this is a draft, if you look at Miami's roster, we're probably going to have to take two linebackers in this draft because of the fact that I think we've got four linebackers under contract for next season, uh, roughly. So this is probably yep. a scenario where we're going to have to look at two linebackers. And Muma's a guy that can move all over the field. He can win his matchups defeating blocks. And if you watch one example, actually, of Muma's recognition and pursuit, Malik Willis's really long, ridiculous winding run yesterday. You see he was downfield in pass coverage, came up, scraped through, ran past everybody, including defensive backs, to be the guy that made the touchdown saving tackle. Um yep. and, and it's it's there are so many moments from this week. There are moments in the game where you can see the tools that Muma has. And I, I've I've already taken him a few times. I think he's going to be one of those guys to watch as a tar- possible target for the Dolphins. Right. I'd say somebody who impressed me, too, at linebacker was Tony Anderson uh, from Montana. Showed a lot more athleticism than I thought he had, especially in pass coverage. So, yeah, when you start looking at that kind of third, fourth round area where the Dolphins are probably going to be looking at some linebackers, I, I expect it to be deep there. I mean, you've got also here this week Quay Walker from Georgia and Damone Clark from LSU. So, yeah, a lot of depth here um, in the draft in, in those middle rounds. Um, but obviously what we were – what I was looking most for when – for the Dolphins was running back. And, you know, not a lot of the big names here because, you know, they're going to be you know, underclassmen. You know, K- Kenneth Walker, uh, Brees Hall, not here obviously. But um, – Still some kind of that second tier. You're you starting to see a lot of you, – you saw a lot of that this week and, and a pretty good group here in that third, fourth round area, maybe even down to the fifth round. I mean, Brian Brian Robinson from Alabama I think was probably the biggest name here. Showed a lot of great pass blocking. Um, but as far as a runner, kind of a more – what you see is what you get, a tall, high-cut running back. I, I think he's going to be in the league for a long time. Is he ever going to be special? Probably not. But – should be able to play on all three downs because he's such a good blocker. Uh, Dalvin Cook's younger brother, James Cook, I, I didn't see a lot of him this week. I, I'm not sure if he actually was – if he stepped out or what. But anyway, um, he's a name to keep in mind. Damian Pierce from Florida was the one that really impressed me, and he was the talk throughout the week. Um, it, kind of an odd career. He's a four-year starter – or four-year player at, at Florida. This past year had only hundred and had only 100 carries, but he had 16 touchdowns. And he's a little bowling ball as far as power is concerned. So not a lot of um, wear and tear. And Florida with Dan Mullen, they like to rotate running back so much. But I think they should have given him the ball a little bit more at Florida. Probably. But there were some big old meat monsters up front on defense that were so much fun to watch. And I want to talk about them, even though – Miami does not need defensive tackle help. They're they're stacked in that department. But Perry and Winfrey and Travis Jones, Travis Jones of UConn, had 
dominant weeks. I think, I mean, Winfrey just consistently won his matchups, and you just watch Travis Jones. The sack that he ended up with in the game was so indicative of the week that he had. No one could block either of them this week. They were just destroying every single matchup. And you look at Travis Jones' sack where he walked <laughs> the defensive lineman back and knocked the quarterback down with him and then walked over and t- like, touched his feet and said, Hi. <laughs> like, holy crap. Jones had a better week than I expected, and I'm a UConn fan. Uh, right, and that was against uh, Dylan Parham from Memphis when he took him and he walked him right back to the quarterback in the game. And, yeah, I mean, I've that, – Two guys I've got, I've got, we're right on the same page with that. I mean, you know, I think Winfrey and Travis Jones probably went from mid round picks to probably talking about second round now. And probably it would be higher if defensive tackle were more of a high priority type type position in the NFL. Uh, Devontae Wyatt was arguably the star of the week, and he has a shot to go in the first round out of Georgia. He was unblockable uh, in drills throughout the week. Um, yeah, and Logan Hall from Houston. You know, I when I watch him, maybe it's the ninety-two, but looks a lot like Zach Sealer. Obviously, a little lighter than Sealer, a little bit more athletic. But that defensive tackle slash defensive end, I think, will be a hell of a player for somebody who plays that three-man front a lot from Houston. So, yeah, a lot of interesting things here. And uh, another one too is Malik Willis is going to be probably the most fascinating player, not specifically for the Dolphins, but in this pre-draft process. He went to Auburn, transferred to Liberty here this past year, had nothing around him, but he comes to, to Mobile, has, a, has an up-and-down kind of week, but um, on the day that it rained, was a Wednesday, I think, he, he was the only one that could play seamlessly uh, through that storm. And, you know, Kenny Pickett struggled in it, Carson Strong, Desmond Ritter all struggled in that, but not Willis. He was able to drive the ball through the rain, and in terms of what he can do with his feet, I'm not saying he's Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson, but I don't think he's far off from that. You know, so I, he's somebody that could go anywhere in this draft. I think he's going to end up going really high. To, to be fair, saying that Carson Strong struggled with rain, uh, Carson Strong struggled with football as far as this week goes. It, it's he had a rough week, but no, I really do like Malik Willis, and he's one of those guys that could come in and start off as the backup to Tua and, and see where we go from there. I, I, I don't think Malik's going to be a first-rounder. I know a few folks do, but it is possible. It's going to very much depend on how he does in the coming weeks at the Combine um, when they get to his pro day. But he could be somebody that you see really firm up a first round conversation or go as late as the third or fourth round. It's it's a weird scenario with him, but he had a great week. Yeah, so we'll we'll see about that. I mean, I yeah, I think you'll I think you'll end up going in the first round just cuz so many teams need quarterbacks and he has so many skills to be able to mold. I don't think Carson Strong's going in the first round. I I've the, my comparison for him has always been Mason Rudolph and I, I think he's lived up to that here this week he doesn't make plays with his feet and yes he's got a he's got a really good arm but is it josh allen is it justin herbert like i i I don't think so um so yeah i mean a lot of just takeaways from this week another one too we'll we'll end it with a punter well well, hold Um, on before 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 we end it then let me just jump in with one quick thing because it is something that we until miami re-signs or figures out how they're gonna do what they're gonna do with gasicki 
Uh, Jake Ferguson's a guy to keep an eye on from this week. He, he's he had a standout week, and then if you put him in comparison with Charlie Kohler, who was expected a lot more from, he looks even better. But I mean, it's he had what three catches, sixty three yards, a touchdown. Uh, he looked good in his routes. He it, it's he could be somebody that they look at in the draft if Gasicki and Smythe get away. Charlie Kohler couldn't block, catch, or do anything. Right. Uh, Jake Ferguson, yeah, from Wisconsin. First of all, if the unless the Dolphins let both Gasicki and Smythe walk, if they draft a tight end, I'm going to lose it. Um, but Ferguson, yeah, he is one player that I think is extremely underrated in this class. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be Mark Andrews because Andrews is a uh, incredibly productive tight end. I mean, a, a Pro Bowl guy just uh, what had 1,300 yards this past year, 100 catches. Not saying he's going to be that guy, but that style where he he just can find open spots in the defense. Very intelligent dude. I, I see it there, and I, I saw it at Wisconsin this past year. He had what over 60 catches on a, on an offense that's not very explosive. So, yeah, I think he could he could find himself somewhere kind of in that third fourth round area, depending on how he tests out. And Jake Camardia uh, Camardia. From uh, Georgia, punter bombed two seventy yarders um, this past week. A raise of kicks at eighty on the same day. You got a raise of two, so we are all. We may have to have a whole a whole show on punters. It'll probably yes. be least popular show. Of the the punter and, show. Let's do and, it. Let's just throw fullbacks in there too. Punters and fullbacks. It'll be a twelve minute show. Nobody will watch or listen to it. Um, we, we'll do, we'll do a punter and fullback mock draft show. All 32 teams. We'll figure out where we're mocking those guys. Let's do it. Well, I've heard people in the chat here today talk about, uh, you know, Joe. Oh, there's guys, there are guys begging for you to do a mock before we even have a coach well, cat. I, I will tell you this. I would rather do a mock draft than talk about lawsuits or coaching searches any day of the week. And yeah. you have to understand something with me with mock drafts, all right? Like, see, for any wrestling fan out there, like, I'm like the Brock Lesnar of, of, of mock drafts, okay? I show up. I dominate. And I don't do it again. And then you'll see me in a few months, in this case, in a year. Look, on draft day, I nailed the first nine picks of the draft. And then I think I had 13 for the entire first round. I have nothing to prove. So, so you're, you, and this is where you and I balance each other with the draft coverage. You are the one that is awesome at doing the what they will do. I tend to do pretty well with the what they should do. Because if you look at some of the guys I've looked at, and I've, I've been wrong on a few, but we would have potentially Davis Mills as a backup quarterback right now. That wouldn't look so bad. You know, people were talking about the running back thing from last year and how, you know, they should have grabbed one in round one or round two. Guess what? If the Dolphins had listened to me, we would have had Ramondre Stevenson with Elijah Mitchell as a handcuff. Like, and you start looking back at some of these guys that we've looked at, like, and it, it's. I think our draft coverage is pretty good, Cat. That's what I'm getting at here. Yeah, so everyone should be sure to listen to that here throughout the next couple of months. We'll talk about free agency and the draft. At, after free agency is when we really start to hit it with the position by position previews. We'll have a couple of shows a week, and also too, uh, what I meant to mention earlier is Mike Kosicki uh, blocked me on Twitter this week. I have never associated with Mike Kosicki. I've never tweeted to him. I don't tweet to players. 
I've Welcome. never tweeted to him. Nothing. And on this show, anytime I've talked about him, I've just talked about how he should be handsomely paid with a contract extension. So, I, I, I get blocked by him. That's yeah. He blocked me, and he blocked the show the week he got drafted. And I didn't say a derogatory word about him. All I said was, oh my God, Dallas Goddard's available. Please go out and get him. And apparently Mike Gesicki took offense to that. So not only does he have algorithms searching for his name being mentioned, but also apparently the day of the draft, he had Dallas Goddard's name. And so he got drafted and blocked me. So good for him. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. A um, lot that's going to be decided here over the last uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, Hammer, thanks for your contribution there. He asked, uh, do you guys think we should throw in – 2023 first round draft to jump people as a contingency contingency against losing those picks. I don't think they're going to lose picks um, on this, to be quite honest with you. I mean, there has to be, there has to be a real smoking gun, uh, something in writing of Steve Ross offering Brian Flores, a hundred thousand dollars. There has to be receipts. There has to be something. Um, uh, Steve Ross can't be stupid enough to, to, to have done that. But I, I, I still maintain that, yeah, I, I do think in some way a conversation like that occurred. I think that's too specific, but that's just my feeling. I, and you can't take away draft picks on based on a gut feeling. So, sorry, totally related but unrelated. One thing just jogged in my memory, uh, speaking of hearsay and tampering and things like that, it, it's very weird to me that these allegations of potential attempted tampering for, you know, unnamed quarterback who rhymes with Schrady, um, when Flo as a free agent while taking these interviews supposedly and reportedly has been interacting with Deshaun Watson so that they can figure out landing in the same place together while Deshaun Watson is under contract with the Texans and last I knew the Texans didn't give permission to a player to work with somebody that's not even with a team. I don't know anything about that to be honest with there you. There was so. a couple articles about that uh, about a week week and a half ago. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I've heard some whispers on that but I, I, I don't know. Um, so we'll see. Uh, that's another thing is where does Deshaun Watson end up? What happens with that situation? Aaron Rodgers, kind of the same thing. So that's going to do it for our breakdown here of a lot of things. Uh, the Dolphins coaching search, the Brian Flores situation, as well as the Senior Bowl week. I'm Brian Cat NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. Find us also on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, the fan, uh, fan-sided network, and finfanatic.com. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.